the ancient Romans used to describe happiness as being in harmony with nature. You know, so for me, um, if if we are out of harmony with nature, if we are far away from from these kind of natural rhythms and, and requirements, I think then we are becoming sicker. This is Social Fabric, conversations with people about their passion and their contribution to the community. For more information, go to socialfabric.ie. I went to the preacher, I asked him to tell me what was the difference between heaven and hell. Said one was above, one was below the ground. He's only the fourth person I've ever met in my entire life that is the same. same. Because it's Neil is a it's originally an Irish name, but it's been anglicised, and that's the spelling most people see of it. So it was great to meet the other Neil with the happy pair lads when I went down to swim with them. And I was like, yes, another Neil. (laughs) It's felt like this. And now do you pronounce your second name? Because I'm Italian, I can't uh, pronounce it. It's Omurku. Omurku, okay. So it looks like Omurchu. What um, is Omurku? You see, the, the, what I love about the... Um, what I love about the names, when you, when you look at them in Irish, is that they have meaning to them. So Neil, like this, means the lustrous one. You know, so you, you can read into that whatever you like. Um, and Omurku means grandson and the Omurku bit is either warrior of the sea or hound of the sea okay you know so for me that kind of changes meaning all the time mm. you know so is it the is it sometimes it's referred to as the pirate a pirate a hound of the sea uh, but you know when you're swimming and you see the seal's head pop up over the mm. water and to me it often looks like a dog or a mm. labrador or something I think to myself, is that the hand of the sea? You know, so for me, that's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that is interesting, that yeah. In the anglicised version, you lose the meaning, but when you look at the original... Language, what would be the anglicised version of your surname? Uh, Murphy. Oh, Murphy, just, just you know, a simple so Murphy. Like, so you wouldn't have any kind of, besides the name, there wouldn't be any meaning to it, but when you look at the actual origin of it, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has much more to it then, so... Pretty good. It's actually, that's where I wanted to start. I want to start from um, where it all came from, from your parents. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, you say, uh, as I say, I was listening to your uh, chat with, is it Frank? Is it, is it yeah, Frank? Frank, yeah. Uh, great little video there, you have it on your website, uh, to be frank, and you, you go into quite a lot of de- depth in all, of what you do yeah. and so on and so forth, but you hinted a couple of times of your father, your mother, and, and the influence they had. Obviously a very positive influence yeah. throughout, but what I'm curious about, if you can tell me a bit about, like they were into things that people were really into at the time yoga herbal yeah. remedies martial yeah. arts so it just gives a bit of a an idea of what was it like like um, oh, we were talking about uh, yeah what i used to lo- love doing is looking at photographs of my parents when they were younger um, and to me it looked like this kind of um very different world because they looked like hippies you know they had my dad had a long beard and long hair mom looked beautiful long hair and you know and, and for me um that visual representation of them really is a, is a glimpse of what my, my childhood and what their way of bringing me up was like. You know, they were very open-minded. Um, they were kind of like explorers, explorers of music, explorers of new ways of thinking, new ways of living, and even explorers in actual places, you know. So they, 
uh, we emigrated to America in the 80s and this was a huge adventure for us and again they brought their uh, open-mindedness to that, that adventure you know so for example um, you know in, in the 1980s when we went to America as a child here in, in, in Dublin everything on television that was interesting was from America all these American programs so you know in my mind I was like oh we're going to America it's going to be this incredible adventure so when we get there mom and dad being their kind of very open-minded selves were saying to us okay we really want to we really want to see the real America you know so I wanted to go to Disneyland and they were like we're not going to Disneyland we're going to uh, we're going to travel across Wyoming and Montana into Yellowstone Park and kind of trek through this huge wilderness and see these uh, geysers exploding up through the through the uh, Earth's crust, spewing, steaming uh, water out of the Earth's crust. We're going to look for bears. We're going to you know look at buffalo roaming on the plains, um, and that's always been their approach. You know they always want to kind of see the real spirit of a place and. Mm. Um, and they have that kind of sense of adventure. So for me, that's that's how I was kind of brought. That's all I know. Mm. Um, and so they were, you know, always experimenting. My dad now obviously still does Tai Chi and all these type of things, which have become more mainstream. But back then, when I was growing up, it definitely wasn't. They weren't like other parents on the road. Yeah, and that's what I'm curious about, because obviously now you appreciate it because you're kind of following their path in a way yeah. of discovery and... But uh, as a teenager in the eighties, where I don't know, I suppose the eighties were, but the year of the yuppies and the the first, uh, you know, making money. Everybody was into yeah. the, the, the Wall Street movies and all that kind of stuff. But you were going off the beaten path with your with your folks, which yeah. is great. But how, how uh, now looking back, it's great. But but there and then, how how, how was how did it feel? I suppose I didn't know anything differently. Okay, and. Um, I don't know if it was the way I was raised, but I never really cared about what anyone else taught, you know. So, even though other families were different, it didn't bother me at all because um, I was kind of happy and and content with who we were, you know. Mm. But just it, when a combination of both, like so, so, when I was a teenager, say, and my life was really dedicated to playing basketball, you know, my, you know, I was committed to being this, to being the best basketball player ever to walk the earth, um. And I'd come back before I go to a match or anything. My mom would say to me, "Now, Neil, I want you to use the third eye. You know, not your two visual eyes. The third eye, which is now I know is associated with the pineal gland, but use the third eye and visualize yourself killing these fellas in this basketball game. You know, and and for me, I was a bit kind of like, "Ah, mom, would you leave me alone?" But in reality, what I learned then was that when I went to play at international level for Ireland they actually introduced visualisation into the into the process for preparing for these big international games okay. and what my mom had actually been doing all along since I was a teenager in her words it was using the third eye in modern psychology it was visualisation but that's exactly what so she'd been doing yeah. you know so even at times when I was kind of pushing a little bit back against it when I look back now they were spot on yeah but the, that's the, that's again. I'm a bit curious about the. So you your teenage years, you were in the states at that stage. No, we were, came back. We came back okay. then. Well, I came. We left. Um, I was about ten when we left here. Okay. And I came back. 
just as I was hitting 13. Okay, so it was kind of formative years. It was a, very, a bit all over the place so. in terms of yeah. what you want to do, what you yeah. don't want to. And uh, what did you move back to? To Dublin, it was it? Back to Dublin, yeah. Okay. Back to, we left Pontmarnock um, and we came back to Pontmarnock, but just a different road. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's interesting then. Um, I just want to ask you a couple more things about Pontmarnock. But uh, you gave me a song, the first one you gave me is um, Mellow Mood by Bob Marley. It's just, uh-huh. That's a fantastic tune. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. Um, our first child, Blaze is his name. He had a very dramatic entrance into the world. He came 10 weeks early and he surprised us all. Um, and when he was in, he was spent the first three weeks of his life in an incubator in the intensive care unit. And his personality started to shine through there. He was really relaxed. You know, he was in this incubator. He was just kind of very relaxed. But when they were putting all these tubes up in his nose, into his stomach, he let he kind of let them do it, and it was really tough going. And when the doctor would walk away, he just yanked them out again. And this would go on, and eventually the doctor would say, "What? Well, we just we just leave him." And so he kind of, as he grew up, and we got him home from the hospital, he had this combination of being relaxed, mellow, but tough. You know, so we used to play this song to him because Tough Gong is obviously Bob Marley's other name. You know, because he was this kind of tough character, but he also had this mellow side to him so when blaze was growing up we used to play uh mellow mood to him all the time i'll play your favorite song darling we can rock it all night long darling because i've got to love darling love sweet love Rock me Cause I've got to love Darling Love sweet love Darling Quiet as the night Please Now that you mentioned the case You've got the case in it Four Four, right? Yeah, yeah Um, just what age group? What's your eldest? So Blaze is going to be 10 now in a week or two at the end of October. We have Nuada who is going to be 7. No, nine, seven. There's two years between everybody. Okay. Blaze is going to be 10. Nuada is going to be 8. And the girls are, are 5 now. They're going to be soon to be 6. Uh, Anu and Isis, they're identical twins. Okay. So two boys and two girls. Oh. Um, and the reason I was asking is that so going back to the way you grew up and the influence that your parents, they decided that was the way they were going to bring you up and it obviously worked for you. Now as a father, how, what, what's your, what, what are you doing? You're doing, you're, you're, you're doing the same, you're, you're going, okay, well that's how, because it's, it's a tricky one. Yeah, I, I suppose when I look at my own experience, I look at my experience of my friends, I see a kind of pattern emerging. I think um, there's a rebellion against, you know, it's not the same for everybody. You can see this pattern. There's a rebellion against how you were raised sometimes, some of the things you were raised with. But then when you become a, a parent, there's a kind of harking back to maybe some of those things as well. You know, so for me, 
it's definitely a case of Josie is my uh, loving wife that when you when you kind of come into a partnership like a marriage and, and creating children for for me it's like let's take the best bits of Josie's childhood and upbringing and the best bits of my childhood and upbringing and let's leave behind some of the things that didn't work and kind of combine them and then you have a new version and it's within that kind of new household that new home that our children are brought up so so for example Josie's family are um, brilliant business people and have been for generations and that's something that my family aren't particularly kind of have much experience of so that's so when we're kind of creating this home for the children it's that's a new influence you know because now I have two businesses as well and you know so they're being brought up with this new for me this new part of of how to live as well as the kind of other stuff we bring to it so mm. uh, it's that brilliant combination and that's that's what happens when people get married or share their lives together mm. you have these new combinations these new mixtures yeah but obviously for you 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 have a love of the outdoors and and being in touch with your own we'll get into that later on but if you get into you know getting to know your body, getting to know your brain, getting to know your physical and mental. And then on the other side, your kids at the pre-teenage era where on the other side we have this monster of the technology, which is it's not all wrong, but it is a big mammoth coming towards us all the time. And how, how are you looking at balancing that? Or is there something? Well, sometimes I feel sorry for my children. <laughs> maybe a bit like my parents did for me growing up because our approach isn't always the approach of maybe their peers and especially around technology um, because you know my two businesses are one the Wim Hof Method and two uh, uh, digital technology I'm a consultant for people in digital technology so I have this expertise in technology and digital and I probably know more about it than most parents and the more I understand it, the more I kind of see where the, the danger lies. So for, you know, so for our children, we are very strict with technology. You know, if I look back at Steve Jobs um, and his home, his home was very low tech with all his children. And we kind of follow a very similar approach. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, there's this, uh, the teenage years are coming and what social media means but of course that'll change by the time Blaze is 10 by the time he's 13, 14, 15, 16 social media will have changed so dramatically from what it is now that it'll be something entirely different so for us we try to give the children as much time now before they get to that period as much time playing using their imagination as much time being outside as possible and we're kind of building up a healthy understanding of, of the role of technology in their lives and our lives and how to get that balance right um, I suppose for me it's always this idea of okay I want to kind of raise them I always say this I want to raise them not to be little assholes you know so the converse of that is I want them to raise them to be good people and when they get to those teenage years I feel that myself and Juicy have kind of put in some good foundations and then they have to go off and kind of like I did make mistakes and True. figure it out and uh, they have to go on an adventure of their own with us there of course no no absolutely them. I think it's important if they say if you love somebody set them free you know you just yeah. you have to let them go and uh, just before we switch on the microphone we were talking about how some of the towns in Ireland and some of the com- the areas in Ireland are becoming I don't know a bit of a I, I'd like a bit like a wasteland there's just very little going on for 
And where you are now, how do you interact? You're in Dublin still, yeah. You yeah. live in Dublin. How do you? What's what's going on in your community? What how do you? What do you put into the community to to get something out of it for your kids? Yeah, um, the children go, you all went to school around the corner to a little Montessori school around the corner, and um, they now go to Scalorcon in Monkstown, just a little bit down the road. So for me, the, the original place where they went to school is the venue where we do all our work, uh, Wim Hof uh, workshops and classes mm-hmm. now. So, you know, there's a nice atmosphere in there. It's right in the middle of Bootherstown. Um, and I, I try to get as many of the people that live around us involved in this because just by a little bit of breathing and a little bit of cold, they can change how they feel and change how they, how they think. And for me, that's... That's my con- contribution to the community. If I can help people, t- teach them to to use these things to deal with life, anything that life throws at them, then the community, everyone, everyone benefits from that. Hmm. And I guess, you know, like, by even simply doing that, you probably connecting people that they might have seen each other at the school gates. They haven't really spoken yeah. to one another. And, not all of a sudden sitting down in the same room and yeah and, and, and even we have free events um, called Wim Rise inspired by the Happy Pair uh, yeah. Swim Rise but a little bit of Wim Hof yeah. thrown in there um, and we have we had the whole of August we were down to 40 foot and as part of that like you're saying we had 15 people the first day and it grew and grew and grew towards the end of August we had 60-70 people for the last one and out of that experience there grew groups of people who are still going down there, groups of people who are still in contact with each other. And I think it showed that people are, are looking for a connection with nature, a connection with, with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're going to continue that. So that's an important part of it is, as you said, getting people to kind of meet each other. Yeah, And it's great, I suppose, even this swim is great because there's, yeah, there's no clothing to be looking at there's nobody to compare you know you're there in your bears yeah, your yeah. bare minimums and we all look the same pretty much yeah. and uh, that's great um, and do you feel there's something missing like your suburban Dublin it's it's gone through I mean it's still very nice it's still very leafy and all yeah. that but there's also there's been a, a I lived in Blackrock for years uh, but because of the price of the houses and so on and so forth it's kind of it's becoming a bit of a social strata has been created. Do you think there's something missing there that we should, we, we could do with as a community to have something in there that would be more all inclusive for for anybody? Yeah, I think I think if you go back to that the, that Wimrise event, that really shocked me at how people reacted to it, and I think that you know it builds it it built on these groups that were already swimming regularly, and it kind of gave people permission to come and swim. And I think that's what kind of people is kind of missing in okay. in a society that maybe is becoming very hyper competitive price wise for everything, and hyper competitive for places in school. You know, and I think that kind of atmosphere can put people kind of in competition with each other. And the reality is, we all have to live with each other if we're living beside each other. So something like that, as you said, is a great equalizer because everyone gets down to the forty foot. Yeah. Everyone's breathing with the sun, you know, everyone's kind of equal. They get into the sea and it's, and as you're saying, you're seeing people kind of strip bare of all, all the material stuff and they're, they're just themselves. And I think that's, uh, I think things like that can kind of add that layer of community back, back into kind of areas. Yeah, that's very good. And the next song is probably perfect for it. It, it was a good day by Ice Cube. Mm. 
<laughs> Seguin very very well. Um, so this, for me, this this is an important song because it goes back to my my teenage years, completely dedicated to playing basketball. So waking up, training, thinking about basketball, reading about basketball, playing basketball going to bed with a basketball in the bed you to get used to the move you know the, the feel of it all the time and as as you know hip-hop and basketball are so so intertwined that even though we were, I was living in Port Marnock your mind is off in South Central Los Angeles through this music um, and even though it, when I look back at it now lots of it is extraordinarily negative this song always stood out to me as something that was uh, beautiful amongst it, so I, I, I love it, I must say. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kinda odd. No barking from the dog, no smog. And mama cooked the breakfast with no hog. I got my grub on, but didn't dig out. Finally got a call from a girl I wanna dig out. Hooked it up for later as I hit the dope. Will I live another 24? I gotta go, cause I got me a drop top. And if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop. Had to stop at a red light. Looking in my mirror, not a jacker in sight. And everything is alright. I got a beat from Kim, and she could do it all night. Called up the homies, and I'm asking y'all, which part are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court, and I'm troubled. Last week, you mentioned basketball and talk to you about sport and fitness in general. You obviously feel very fit, you're looking after yourself, but um, yeah, so basketball, you, you got to a very high level, the highest level you could get in Ireland. You play for Ireland, right? Um, yeah. For a number of years, from teenage years up to... Yeah, so um, I first played for the international team, the junior international team when I was 16, and then proceeded then to captain that team, and then... Um, I think my, my greatest achievement was being the highest scorer at the Junior European Championships uh, in talent. And it was the first Irish person that had ever done that. Mm-hmm. So the Irish Basketball Association created an award to give to me. You know, so that was probably one. And I have that now still and I show the children this award. You know, so I love that. But then I went on to play, um, I think I was the youngest player to play for the senior team. Okay. But then I gave it all up. And before you give it up though... Uh I'm curious because uh, did you pick up basketball when you were in the States? Yes. Okay, right. Because uh, obviously they built the Tala Stadium and, and all of that, yes. which is great. But basketball, what's it like now? I mean, you're following, still following basketball? I don't follow it now. Okay, but when, when I came back from America, um, the reason I started to play was that there was a basketball hoop in our driveway, you know, typical American yeah, kind yeah. of house we were in. And that started it off. But when I came back, say, say like the early 90s mid 90s in Ireland basketball was unbelievably popular I think it probably had reached its peak by the Mm. time I was playing for the international team it was probably at its peak Um, now I believe I came I came I don't follow it anymore but I believe it kind of um, blossomed in the Celtic Tiger days but there was probably mismanagement with lots of things and Mm. during the recession I heard that um, some of the international teams weren't funded anymore you know so the kind of things like that but Mm. I said I think when I was playing, it was it was on RTE television live matches. Or, you know, it was kind of really mm. kind of popular at the time. And yeah. 
it got to, got to travel to places like Cork, where it's Cork, Cork, Cork is mad for basketball, you know. Right. And they have Neptune Stadium before there was any Tallis Stadium, right. you know. So, um, discovering places in Ireland that were equally obsessed with basketball was one of the things I liked about it. But it, aside from the fact that you obviously loved the sport, you went to bed with with a football, basketball, and it's a great sport. I played it as a kid and I loved it. But yeah. But it must have been really exciting to be part of. Well, apart, apart from the fact that it was the Irish team, but to be part of a team and travel together and you know the camaraderie of all that, what was it like? I describe it like a brotherhood. Okay. Because the, 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 you learn an awful lot about these teammates, these brothers, these friends, when you're under pressure together. So one of the first, one of the first times I played for Leinster... Um, it was a mix of people from all over Leinster and it was the first time I got to see that when we're under pressure deep parts of our emotions come out you know so I was used before that playing with my own teammates and in, in, I played for Malahide now because uh, I went to school there so I knew all them really well and when I was put in this represent team like uh, Leinster representing Leinster I was kind of I was kind of taken aback that all the other players didn't play as well as we did together, you know, because it was a different team. So, um, my best friends now are all people I played basketball with, okay. you know. So that you get to know them deeply in those sure. scenarios, and then uh, you forge these connections with people. And uh, you know, and you're, where are you from originally? I'm from Rome, from Italy. Yeah. Yeah. So anywhere you go in the world, you can play basketball. Yeah. You can forge these relationships yeah, yeah, with people. And yeah. Basketball's huge in Italy. So. It is big. Yeah, it was big. I don't know what it's like now, but it used to be big yeah, at the time. Yeah, I never got to any of the levels that you're talking about, but it was great. But then I'm curious because again, and when I did a bit of research on you, that it's all on the internet with the stuff I found. But I'm curious to why you 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 give it up and you switch to. I mean. Obviously, you grow and you, you get older and you, you're following a, a path of, of discovery. And, but, but I, what I've, I've never really done any, personally, I've never done any individual sports or individual disciplines. And I always found that team sports are fantastic for discovery. Is that yeah. what you just said? So I'm, I'm curious why you gave it up and moved on. So I think my decision to stop very abruptly kind of surprised lots of people mm. um, teammates coaches probably uh, friends and parents a little bit but as I was progressing up through the ranks in basketball there was these questions that were gnawing at me the whole time kind of bigger questions that lots of people kind of wrestle with so like who who am I mm. you know what am I what is this experience here you know this reality uh, how do I fit into it? You know, and, and what is the body capable of? You know, these big kind of questions I was wrestling with from about mm. 16, 17, 18. And it got to a point then, just as I was playing for the senior national team, international team, where, where the questions were too important to kind of continue. And I felt basketball was a magnificent game, but it didn't have the, these answers for me. Okay. So I can, I... I looked elsewhere for those answers and the first place I looked was martial arts. What age were you when you were going through all that? When did you give up basketball? 20. Okay, so 20. still fairly young. Yeah, yeah. So and, and just, I had I just kind of, 
had four or five appearances for the the senior international team. Um, but that was I was already my mind had already and my heart was already out of it at that point. I was already kind of looking for these answers. Um, and I had done martial arts with my dad before basketball when, when we were younger. And of course, martial arts has this deep philosophy that's steeped in. So that's the first place I kind of turned for answers. Okay. Um, the, the song you have is Sweet Child of Mine, Guns N' Roses, the next one, before I'll ask you more about the, the martial arts. So again, um, this, is, this is a song I associate with my, my second son, Noada. And the, night, and the day he was born, in very, very normal circumstances, not like Blaze's arrival. And I was driving home, because now life is different, we had two children. I was driving home to Blaze, and uh, I was, remember driving through Donnybrook, and all, getting all the green lights, and everything was going marvellously, and I turned on the radio. I was thinking about our new child, Nuad, and Sweet Child of Mine came on the radio. And when he was born... He, 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 came, he came to earth and when he was born he was crying like most children nice and healthy the nurse t takes him over to the, to the place and she's kind of wrapping him up and he's still screaming and screaming and the nurse turned to me and said you're in trouble with this one you know <laughs> and, and so the energy of this song the loudness of it uh, the type of music it is perfectly portrays Nawada you know he's full of energy um, and he's uh, a sweet child, so it's the perfect song for him. And one thing you did, and I'm curious to delve in a little bit more into, you went to study in a temple, a Shaolin temple yes. in, in the UK, right? Yes. Uh, now, I grew up watching uh, Kung Fu, the series, and, uh, and that was it. I was going to be one of them. I was going to be walking the earth and, uh, and, <laughs> and become a, a, a Shaolin monk. I don't even know if I was Shaolin at the temple. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean you went to train in the Shaolin mm. monk? Well, what is, like, what's a daily routine? What, what is it all about? And were you there all day, every day, or how? So, um, so as I was trying to, to answer these questions in martial arts, I was training here, um, learning Kung Fu, learning different meditation, first influence of meditation. Uh, and then I read that Shifu Yan Zi and Shifu Yan Li of the Shaolin Temple in China had been sent to the London to set up a temple there to spread Shaolin culture. Uh, and I saw and I saw this this article. I think it was in there was magazines at the time, not GQ magazines, but like men's magazines. It was mm -hmm. a whole big spread, and, and I was like, right, that's it. I'm moving to London. So uh, myself and Josie decided we'd move to London, and we actually moved up right beside the temple up in in Kentish Town. And uh, so for me, 
it was an opportunity to to really kind of learn from this person who had dedicated their entire life to not only to learn how to fight, which ultimately Shifu Yanzi was um was combat world champion a few times, like this really hard kind of uh, athlete. But also to learn Buddhism and to learn meditation and qigong. So um, for me, I used to get up before work. I'd cycle up to the temple and we'd train. We'd, we'd run through Hampstead Heath, come back to the temple. Um, you would do kind of either qigong, which is internal martial arts. Then you get into uh, like hard training, fighting, sparring and everything. Uh, and then I might go off to work and in the evening maybe return back to the temple for um, yeah. meditation classes or something. So there was you could train at different times um, depending on your schedule. Okay. But it was a big commitment. Yeah, no, I can, that's what I was going to... Like, I wasn't sure whether you, you were just there in the temple all day, every day, but obviously you were working, which is it's interesting that you yeah. have to, to, to survive and you have to make yeah, it somehow yeah. and, uh, in London. But... So what, what, apart from obviously the, the learning the the techniques the meditation so what what values did you see you, you got from from the Shaolin monks? Quite a few actually, they really led by example. Okay. Um, so Shifu Yanzi arrived in London with barely any barely any English, and by the time I had caught up with him, uh, his English was fluent. He had found this place. He was literally by hand building this temple. Uh, and then you can see him learning how to drive and all these type of things. It was the determination. Yeah, the determination was palpable. You know, this this man felt he could do anything simply because his mind was clear and open from from the meditation, mm-hmm. and he had this sense of kind of purpose. So that was one of the big things. So the the second the second big lesson from Shifu Yanzi was that we train to fight. We train to learn to fight. Um, and that was a big part of it, you know, so we're entering competitions and, and, and full contact fighting. But we learned to fight in order that we never had to fight. So what he meant by that was that by going through the process of learning to fight, you, you change the person, whatever that kind of ego thing that you might carry around with you that would get you into trouble, that was slowly being kind of um, worked out of you. Okay. So he always said that, look, when you learn to fight and you, and you have that confidence, that, you, that inner strength, if a bully or somebody approaches you, it, it nearly never ends in violence because you're a different type of person. For beforehand, if you're frightened in a search, situation like that and you don't have the skills or experience, it very well end up in violence because you, you know, your fight or flight mode kicks in. Okay. Um, so, you know, it was, it was those kind of deep philosophical contradictions and kind of ways of looking at the world that really shaped how I thought about things or reshaped or kind of broke things open. And in the training, you, you don't have to, you don't have to go, you don't have to become a monk. You, no. You just, just, it's just part. Because the, the thing I was thinking about, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's the Franciscan monks, there's the, yeah. you know, there's a lot of Western um, society that we do have, you know, with a lot of ways of meditating, but it's praying and, you yeah. know, but you hardly hear, every hear anybody goes, I went off to Assisi for two years to, to learn how to meditate because yeah. what, what, what is the difference there between the East and the West? And then it's... I, don't, I don't know. I think there's something, maybe it's to us as Westerners, 
it seems exotic and it seems kind of something that we are very interested in. But I think for me, actually, the the attraction was something else. The attraction was it was the mind and the philosophy and the body and the training. Mm. Um, so some of the kind of monks that I'd become, you know, that I would be aware of from previous to Shaolin would have been monks living in a convent or whatever they live in somewhere, but they hadn't had that physical side of it. Mm-hmm. And I love the physical training and I love mm-hmm. that part of it. So for me, it was like the whole experience, the body, the mind and uh, and the soul, really. Okay. Yeah, it was obviously, obviously the body and mind for you is, is, is one thing really, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it's basketball or yes. or what you're doing now and everything is yeah. always is always the one thing to get. So the the, the, the song you have after is probably it's a beautiful tune. I didn't know an ending, Ascent by Brian Eno. Oh yes. It's a fabulous yes. tune. So when we teach people the Wim Hof Method, one of the big parts of it is learning to breathe in this very specific way. And when we breathe in this very specific way, we start to feel bliss and calm and our energy levels kind of improve and we and our stress levels go down. And when we do that in, in the setting of, of a workshop, we learn how to breathe and we all have music playing when people are doing it. And this is one of the, one of the kind of first songs that we play during that. And it just takes your mind somewhere else, especially when you're breathing with it. Mm-hmm. And myself and Josie are, are breathing, practicing our breathing at home. This is probably the first song we start with. It just kind of gets your minds in the right place. the Wim Hof was obviously something I wanted to talk to you about. I, I wasn't aware of Wim Hof and I can't remember how I came across it. Um, but anyway, I ended up watching his documentary, which is fascinating. And uh, he's a, a very interesting character. He is a character, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so for those few people that don't know about it, well, just give us a little, little idea of what Wim Hof method is and then how you got involved, please. So it's a very simple and effective way uh, to improve your health and your happiness and your strength. Just by using uh, simple breathing techniques and a little bit of cold exposure, very gradually building up and wrapping it up together with focus. Um, You can improve, it's been scientifically proven to improve your immune system, to reduce stress, to balance hormones, uh, to give you more energy and uh, dramatically improve how you, how you feel. Yeah, because I, I I saw that in the documentary, he actually puts himself through all sorts of uh, medical experiment to, to see is it really happening and then he's able to, to control his body. Yeah, so Wim for years um, 
was developing this technique where he would he actually developed it from the cold water so when he first he enjoyed getting into the cold freezing cold water in holland and when he first got in what happens when you get into the sea <gasps> your breath is taken away so he developed a way of breathing through that uh, and he over years felt that he was you know he was so strong <coughs> as a result he was so healthy that he was able to do these superhuman feats like running up running up mount everest in a pair of shorts um but his end goal was to use these superhuman feats two hours in, in, in ice to try and grab the attention of the scientific community because he wanted to be able to prove to people that something as simple as this could have profound effects on how we feel in our health. So yeah, the first big experiment was in Holland uh, and they injected Wim with a form of E. coli and through the breathing he was able to fight it off. So this of course changed the scientific community's understanding of what we're actually capable of but they said okay well Wim you're the you're the freak you can run up Mount Everest in your shorts normal people can't do this so the second big experiment was they took normal people Wim trained them for a few days brought them in uh, and they also injected them with a form of E. coli and they were able to fight it off so that's really when it kind of um, it took off then because the idea is that anyone is able to do these things that we thought were impossible beforehand just by a little bit of breathing and a little bit of cold wow and uh, how did you get Im- how did you get involved how long you've been doing the Weymouth method and obviously you're now a qualified instructor yeah yet, but yeah you've obviously been involved for a while yes yeah, so i've been doing <coughs> it for a few years and the way we came across it was like many people i heard wim speak on the wim hof uh, not the wim hof i heard wim talking about wim hof method on the Joe Rogan podcast. And at the time, uh, the children were very young. I was trying to launch a business, trying to keep a career going, uh, trying to be a good husband, you know, the kind of, under a lot of pressure like that. And Josie was the same. And uh, we heard Wim talking about what an immediate impact it can have on, on your life, how it can reduce stress, help you deal with grief. Um, Josie's brother had just died, so we said, we'll let's give this a go and um, very very soon after we started it I knew that I had found this kind of missing piece of the puzzle for me because I had years of training with the Shaolin monks learning how to use the breath to to improve health I had years uh, doing yoga and pranayama breathing but this the minute I started doing it I just felt totally different so it was very soon after that that I said right that's it I feel so different and I know so many people who could benefit from this. I need to go and become an instructor in this and, and help people um, to heal themselves. And how long have you been practicing as a, an instructor now? So this will be coming to the end. Of the, this will be the second year now, okay. starting pretty soon. And obviously you've gone through, you do quite a lot of, uh, I, I followed it, and I will, I will do the, the course myself very soon. Uh, but um, you've had quite a few clients coming through it yeah. and have you seen a tangible difference in, in people like because obviously you've been back not because I, I want to, I'm not comparing you with the Wim Hof yeah. thing but that's what people questions would be well you've done all this for the years and yeah. I'm just sitting at the couch on the couch all day every day yeah. I don't have the, the mental strength or the physical strength so we have we have workshops all over Ireland now at this stage and every time we have a workshop I'm kind of shocked at people's reaction to it 
you know people immediately feel it and by the end of the three or four hours that we're, we're there um people are always say okay i want to do more you know because they feel and, and they inevitably have a story about um suffering really badly from depression or anxiety or lyme's disease or something very specific they've come to the workshop to help deal with um, and the results repeatedly shock me in how good they are for mm. people's stories now we know we know from the scientific research that it works you know there's there's five or six major scientific studies at the moment that are going to come out and they're looking at specifically Wim Hof method and Lyme's disease Wim Hof method and pain Wim Hof method of depression so at a kind of at a macro level we know it works but at, the, at a micro level when you're talking to people it's great to hear these stories of, of how they have transformed their lives. No, and that's that's why I was curious because obviously, it's that immediate uh, feedback you getting, and it must be a great feeling to go. Okay, well, I've actually managed to improve somebody's well-being. But what what happens then? So I'll come to your course. Um, I know you have one coming up on the third of November. Now, I think by the time this goes out, there'll be another one. We'll we'll put it out, but. It, so the course is what, three, four hours, you're saying, four hours? Yeah, so the fundamentals workshop is the first step. So the fundamentals workshop is designed to give people all the experience and skill that they need to go and practice at home then. Okay. So we go through uh, the breathing technique in detail. We go through the how to approach the cold, why we approach the cold, how to deal with the cold when we're in it, very specifically using um, breathing techniques. And then... It's designed really to give them everything they need to go home then and just spend like 15, 20 minutes per day doing their breathing and a little bit of cold at the end of their hot shower. Or like if you're like yourself and you live by the sea, a, you know, a dip in the sea. And then a small little bit of breathing, small little bit of cold, and you start to feel it. If you start to do it regularly, your body starts to change. The chemistry of your body starts to change. One of the big... One of the big benefits is that the body becomes more alkaline. It becomes more balanced. Okay. So everything starts to work better. Even you start to think more clearly because your brain starts to work better. And disease and sickness and inflammation, it's harder for it to take a hold in the body when the body's more alkaline. So a little bit of breathing over a longer, like a sustained couple of weeks, um, and you, you start to feel this kind of, this gradual building and energy gradual building in in hey your mood even changes and uh you stop getting sick you start feeling brilliant you start thinking to yourself maybe i could climb up a mountain in a pair of shorts you know that's <laughs> the way you start thinking about it then. and is there an age limit i mean can, can you start at any age can your son do it at seven or eight or nine yeah or? so w with children i children tend to know this stuff instinctively we just forget it as we get older mm. so um before I started the Wim Hof method, I used to be trying to stick coats on the children all the time outside, and they're always like, "Get the coat! I want my coat off. They're so warm, you know." So you know, so they they have this. They're warmer than we are usually because their fat is burning at a different kind of rate, but they know that they when they're outside in the cold that they kind of instinctively want to be out there, you know. And mm -hmm. if they're cold, they'll ask for a coat, and they they're breathing. You know, their breathing is quite good when they're younger. But now with the older children, I would teach them a little bit of the breathing so they can deal with kind of the stresses of, of getting a little bit older. So that's on that end. And at the far end, we've had people, um, late 70s, come to the workshops. And, okay. and uh, 
I think my dad is probably one of the biggest miracles I've seen with it. You know, my dad used to swim a lot in the sea when we were children, but then um, more recently, he was cold all the time. You know, we were on holiday as a family in Spain and it was roasting and he was wearing two jumpers, you know. Mm-hmm. So he did the very first workshop we did um, and he was apprehensive about getting into the cold and that was a while ago now. And since then, he's been swimming in the sea every 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 day. Mm-hmm. You know, which I I I'd never thought I'd see that again. So, um, that's brilliant. So if Dad can do it, anyone can do it. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Uh, we're gonna break it up a little bit with uh, Plansky. Planks. Plansky. Yeah. Plansky. Little Mus- Little Musgrave. One of the longest songs I ever listened. Yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, this goes back to um, my parents are incredible musicians traditional Irish music so growing up the house was always full of music um, music that they were listening to but mostly music that they were playing so dad would play bazooka guitar mandolin anything with strings um, mom played the concertina and sang and so in in me is kind of is this love of, of music but traditional Irish music is kind of in in my bones in my cells from 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 all those years at home and uh Planksty is is one of my one of my favorite groups and this song is uh lovely and if you get to the end of it and it's very long but if you get to the end of it, there's a pause at the end and then there's a little kind of last little bit a little flourish and if you listen to the song i always think i won't i won't spoil it for you but it's like it's like little musgrave kind of flying off into the ether but uh <laughs> If you can get to the end, there's a surprise there. <laughs> it fell upon a holy day, as many's in the year. Musgrave to the church to go to see fine ladies there. And some were dressed in velvet red, and some in velvet pale. And then in came Lord Barnard's wife. The fairest among them all She cast an eye on the little Musgrave As bright as the summer sun Said Musgrave unto himself This lady's heart I've won I have loved ye a fair lady For long and many's the day and I loved ye a little Musgrave, and never a word did say. So yeah, the Wim Hof is this fascinating thing, and I'm, I'm all for it. I, I, as I say, I, I personally will do it, and, and I, I already talk to people about it, just even after watching the, the documentary, I'm just saying, look. Because it, the other thing that you do, you, you you got into the healing as part of the herbalist uh, herbal methods and remedies, uh, which again, it's going back what we should have done, what you know we, we our grandparents, great grandparents used to do, and uh, like at the moment all of a sudden curly kale, kale is yeah. the biggest thing and you know the biggest marketable <laughs> thing and and. Uh, you know, there's food there everywhere that, that we can eat and that we yeah. can use. And uh, one of your talk that you mentioned the um, just dandelions, like we eat yeah. dandelions in Italy all the time, and this yeah. is one of the main staple in Rome. But but it, it was always like the poor fo- the poor man's food yes. was what's now going back, you know, beans and but 
but the problem you said it before as well. It's um, it's the marketing with all like the, the goji berry versus the kale or versus yeah. the, the dandelion. You know, goji berry now. You, I don't know, it's as much as gold to buy a little bag of goji berry. Nobody seems to know what they come from. And yeah. So what's your view on the why? Because it makes sense that it's, we should all grow something in the backyard. We should all just walk around the forest and grab a few things and eat it. But we don't do it. Most of us don't do it. How do we get there? So for me, it's always about returning to nature and letting nature heal us and letting nature pull us back together but to do that as you said you have to have knowledge to do that you know so if if you haven't learned how to do it it's not like you just go to the forest and start picking things and eating it you'd be dead pretty soon if you mm-hmm. did that so the convenient way is is to go into the supermarket and be told what is good for you and, and pick it you know that's that's where your knowledge comes from so as you said, for many, many generations, this knowledge was passed down from one generation to the other. I think maybe in the last couple of generations, that's been broken a little bit. And I look back at my grandparents, they used nettles, they used dandelion. If you look at old cookbooks from Ireland, um, even 100 years ago, all these plants that grow around us are a big part of what was used because they had to, because mm-hmm. they couldn't import goji berries from northern china so i think it's just a case of uh, a little bit of now we have such a great resource that a little bit of education through the internet um, even anybody listen to this look up dandelion look what they look at look at what they look like and the amazing benefits of a couple of leaves of dandelion in your diet uh, and go out and kind of find them and pick them and, and uh, it's about educating ourselves these days i think with the internet because um, if knowledge has been lost from one generation to the other, so it's not lost entirely. Somebody else has it. So it's, a, it's kind of going out and teaching ourselves a little bit about that. But do you not think if from, um, from an earlier age, uh, like, sh- should it not be something, and I don't mean the school, I don't mean to throw back stuff at the government or whatever, but I mean, I think a lot of the teaching in the school could be improved, like for things like, uh, look, that's, that is a dandelion that yeah. has been used, whether you eat it or not, it's yeah. irrelevant, but that's the history of the dandelion. Yes. That, that's something that, there, there isn't anything like that in the, at the moment. There. I think that's a great point. I think for schools, for, for me at least, more, more activities in school should be outside. And I think as part of the nature walk or, or as part of that kind of activity that they do, it should be not just... Um, here is a tree but what grows beneath the tree you know here this is a nettle this is cleavers this is dandelion and you know what we could use them for and, and again it comes back to that education mm-hmm. and i think i think i know some teachers who are very good at that because that's because it's their personal interest but it'd be great to have a systematic way of teaching children that if you take make some tea with this add this to your diet and take this plant for something else we'd all be far better off. And, and this approach of um, prevention, you know, health as prevent, preventative health rather than waiting till we're sick uh, would benefit the whole society. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you're, you're, you're a healer, right? That's part of But I'm sure it's, um, now it's called alternative medicine. While, well, as far as I'm concerned, that was the original medicine anyway. Yes, it, of course. And then became a big pharma. Um, 
but there must be do you ever find that like people when you say I'm a healer they go there's another quack another guy that's just he's gonna give me a few you know whatever a bit of a bit of powder and a bit of potion yeah yeah what I what I like about the Wim Hof method is that it is a scientifically proven way of healing yourself and you know that's what for me it was like the the missing piece of the puzzle because um because of we, the way we approach it like as you said the original medicine is the air we breathe the original medicine is the sea when we jump into it and the food that we eat the, everything after that is secondary medicine you know so the Wim Hof method for me is a great way to introduce people to that without them feeling uh, uncomfortable about trying something totally totally different because I think when they hear it's been scientifically proven they're like okay it must be okay it must be mainstream mm. so and then when we get into it they're actually doing all this healing this repairing of cells this balancing of their hormones just themselves just breathing and just a little bit of cold you know so that's often the first step mm. and then when people realize that 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 can be used it's like okay what else in nature can we okay. use to heal then okay and then you you can pr- say look that's why you should the drink the tea you should be drinking eat yeah, more or kale or eat more, more food like this or you okay. know and do you do one-on-one with cut with people as well or, yeah or? so we have as the kind of as the demand is growing um you have different people with different needs so not everybody wants to go to a group uh workshop so yeah we have we have private sessions that we do we have um we have the month you know the workshops all over Ireland, and we have weekly classes in, in dublin as well for people who might want to just a little taste of it to see what it's like okay. or for people who have done the workshop but want to come and practice it you know so okay. they can come and we practice the breathing uh, the ice bath is there they can get into the ice bath if they like and we answer any questions they have as well so this and there's private sessions so there's kind of there's there's a kind of there's something for everybody okay brilliant uh, Damien Dempsey spray paint back Halley brilliant I love Damien Dempsey's music you know, his road uh, to the core is brilliant. Yeah, he he to me he's he's a legend, and I've I've kind of bumped into him a few times, uh, swimming around the coast of of Dublin. Um, but f- to me now, his music often deals with very difficult topics, and very dark topics. But there's always like a twist of hope, or there's always like a bit a positive a positive ending there's something always in there that takes us from this kind of dark place to something light and whenever i feel that i need some inspiration or something to get me going uh damo is always the man i put on don't spread bad back ali i look up at the sky and i see through red The seagulls wheel around and around On our couches and fridges And mongrel dogs roam free There are rags and there are riches Inside this head for me We drink cheap English cider And smoke hashish from North Africa I 
I've been trying to get the mix right. What I'm curious about, you have your own, you have two businesses now, one that relatively well established, the, the digital, well established, yeah. the digital uh, consultancy, and now this, the, it's obviously more your passion there, what you believe it's, you're making a difference, you're genuinely making a difference in this grid, it must be, I'm not sure how much of a difference you're making in the digital world, but the Wim Hof must be a lot more rewarding, personally. Well, I suppose I'm lucky in the way that, where I've found myself is that the, the digital work that I do, I was head of digital for uh, a great charity called Concern Worldwide for a long time. So when I went out on my own, my specialty is in helping non-profit charities okay. do better business online. Because my time, for me to feel content, my time has to be spent helping people. Okay. So with the digital one, I feel that at the end of helping these non-profit charities or organizations like that, if they can do more of their good work because of what I'm doing with them, then I've done my job. Okay, and then on the other side, so I'm kind of, I feel like I'm helping people indirectly there. And with the Wim Hof method, I'm directly helping people. Yeah. So the way we approach the two businesses, because they're both full-time now at this stage, is that I kind of keep a very uh, open, fluid approach to it. So whatever needs my attention gets it. So let's say this week, loads of Wim Hof method stuff. Uh, and next week, it's kind of more digital stuff. So we kind of keep keep both, both going at the same time and uh, let them decide where my time is spent. Okay, a great approach. You mentioned your wife a few times. Is she involved in the businesses? Yeah. Both, so, both so, businesses. so Josie is, um, as I like to call it, she's the puppet master behind the scenes, <laughs> pulling all the strings. So um, especially with the Wim Hof business, Josie is in charge of all the expansion uh, through Ireland. She sets up all the, cor all the workshops and okay. um, actually without without us working together without her support we wouldn't be able to do it you know it's mm -hmm. kind of hard you, you're a business owner it's kind of hard to kind of juggle everything sure, so yeah. to have two businesses on the go she's she's invaluable yeah yeah um and just the one thing i'm, I'm very curious about this is an awful lot of talk about mental health and, I, and i'm well aware that, that it is an issue and but the more people i'm talking about the more i'm, I'm wondering like we we had, we didn't talk about enough for a long long time, and now we're talking a lot about, which is great. But what what do you see like when you see people coming through through your courses and to people you met through the years and by the meditation? Do you feel that there is a an actual? I mean, is it is it really an increase in, in issues with mental health, or are we? It's just because we're talking more about it. It seemed to be. Uh, I would say it's probably a bit of both. Mm. I'd say as a society, we we didn't talk about it for a long time. And actually we stigma, you know, it was a stigma to talk about it and to admit that you had a problem. So I think as 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 we're becoming more aware of it, obviously then we think it's kind of uh, more prevalent. But I do also think that the way in which we are living our lives lends itself to an increase in, in more anxiety and more depression as well. Um, so we're <clears throat> for lots of people they're living far from nature they're living far from the natural rhythms of of the seasons of the day and night uh, of natural foods you know so I think I, I, for me I think it was actually uh, the ancient Romans used to describe happiness as being in harmony with nature you know so for me um, 
if if we are out of harmony with nature if we are far away from from these kind of natural rhythms and, and requirements i think then we are becoming uh sicker and a part of that is definitely to do with societies um communities breaking down in societies and uh, maybe an over-reliance on digital communication rather than real communication. Not That's not the big factor, but oh, no. it's definitely a side it's effect of it. Um, but for example, uh, just, I'm curious about, again, I, I do, although I haven't done the Wim Hof, I, I, I can't see how it can be, it has to be good, right? It's only breathing, so it can't do you any harm. That's the way I see it. It can only do you good, and it's been proven to do you good. Have you thought about, or is it any plans of picking, say, for example, a classroom or, like, say, your son's class and say, look, can we give this a go for the next two weeks? We do 10 minutes breathing every morning before starting a class and see what happens. Have you thought it that way? Or? Yeah, and I know that there are, um, there's definite research into that now at the moment going on. Yeah. But let's say in, in another couple of weeks, I'll be going into... Uh, a college and and doing it with students there so right. ideally for me you can see how it could help in places that are stressful and that mm. is often schools you know yeah, so yeah. um that would be something i'd love to do more of like is a that. ty for example would be an idea yeah. but I, I wonder whether it should have started a little bit earlier because it's one thing like you get out of bed as a kid you just drag yourself down to school yeah and then straight away you're into this mayhem of yeah. uh, whatever's geography history and the first half an hour is probably a complete waste of time for everybody yeah. because they can't our brain doesn't function enough as opposed to do five minute breathing where you're oxygenated you're ready to go, ready to go. And just uh, been interesting one to see if, if you get into I, I think an approach like that would have obvious benefits for everybody um, but even even something simple um, like getting the children to do a little bit of exercise before they start the class, you know, outside, you know, automatically invigorates them. And then, and I suppose when I look at schools and look at my own experience and now look at my, my experience as an adult, it seems crazy that we're put into these boxes, very little physical activity at that age, uh, sitting down, expected to listen all the time. You know, for me now, I'd, I'd imagine that more physical activity more variety, even standing up during classes or something like that. Sitting would, would, on the floor. Would, and yeah, would be an improvement. Um, and I think probably the school system has dramatically improved since I I was through it. But there's always massive improvements to be made again. So Yeah, hopefully something something will change sooner rather than later. Um, so Neil, would the beam off anybody want to know about you is uh, Breathe With Nile on Instagram and yeah so as we, as we were talking about earlier my name is Neil but oh, it's spelled the Irish way N-I-A-L-L so it's Breathe With Neil but it's Breathe With N-I-A-L-L dot com or Breathe With N-I-A-L-L on, on Instagram as well okay that's great and uh, we're going to leave it with the last song which is uh, Juicy but the Notorious Big ah uh, yes so as we, as we were talking about you know, in my life when I was kind of playing basketball a lot and hip-hop was a big part of, part of that, as I started to change and kind of try and look for answers to these questions, in my mind, my taste in, in hip-hop was changing. I was looking for more music in the hip-hop and, um, and that was kind of eventually I was going to be released from hip-hop to li listen to all types of music. But this song is a classic example of kind of beautiful music, beautiful hip-hop mixed together. So um, 
It's a great one. Excellent. Well, thanks, Amelia, for your time. You're very welcome. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Yeah, yeah. And to all my peoples in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Check it, check it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? Da da ha, you never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid Capri. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, you know. Close and personal with Robin Leach yeah. And I'm far from cheap I smoke stuff with my peeps all day Spread love, it's the Brooklyn way The Moet and Alizé keep me pissy Girls used to diss me Now they write letters cause they miss me I never thought it could happen This rapping stuff I was too used to packing gats and stuff Now honeys play me close like butter play toast From the Mississippi down to the East Coast Condos and Queens in dough for weeks Sold out seats to hear Biggie Small speak Living life without fear Putting five carrots in my baby girl ear Lunches, brunches, interviews by the fool Considered a fool cause I dropped out of high school Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood And it's still all good, uh